Well, good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Some people still know that one. Um, aren't they strong? Well done, Abigail and Mark. It's just a few thousand pounds. They nailed it. All right. Uh, my name's Chad, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to uh, be with you to celebrate this morning our Lord and Savior. Um, this has been a difficult year. I remember last year, one of our staff, it was March when we kind of started hearing this stuff. I remember praying and we were even asking, saying, hey, let's pray. Um, and somebody said, maybe this will be over by Easter. Last Easter. Um, it isn't, is it? Um, but there's hope. There are things happening. The Lord is sustaining us. Lisa and I go on a date night, usually every Friday. And we went this past Friday, we're sitting in a restaurant. And she goes, hey, do you see? I was like, what? She goes, salt and pepper on the table. <laughs> it was so exciting. We didn't have to ask for it. It's actually out of the tomb and on the table. It's very cool. Um, but it's been difficult. And so I have a question for us this morning as you think about Easter, uh, because it can be this like, oh, this great thing. It's kind of like our Super Bowl, Christian Super Bowl, like, ah, it's awesome. And, but sometimes you don't like, really feel like you're playing on the field though. It's like this thing that happened. And how can it be personal? How can it be something that means something for you today? Because, and you've probably heard me say this before, God's not bound by time and space. He actually created it. And so for him, Easter is an eternal now event where we're supposed to be able to say, I was there. I was there. Think of the old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? It's, it's supposed to be, yes, I was there. But how can it be personal today? I love time travel shows or time travel books. The whole thing is just so fascinating. Even I remember as a kid, like first one I ever saw, I was like, this is so awesome. They can go back in time. They've got this little device. There's always a device or some machine or some travel thing or some wormhole or something where they can get back. And there's one called Timeless, uh, which is now canceled. Ugh. As soon as they give me a good one, it's all gone. It's done. But if you can find it, um, I think it was on CBS. You can probably find it on Hulu or something had some great plot. There's some conspiracy group who's been around forever and been affecting the events of human history. You know how they always are. And there's always money and power involved. So they had a time machine and they're heading back in time to key events in history to change things so that it will be better for them in the future. And sure enough, there's another team with a historian, a college professor, her name's Lucy. She's brought in because she knows history and they have a, another time machine, but it's a first generation, a little more rickety and sometimes it doesn't work really well. And it's just awesome. The first thing they do is they go back to the Hindenburg, which is like, you know, World War II era and everybody's dressed up. So they have costumes, they have to go back. What if you could go back? What if you could time travel to Easter? Which moment would you pick? Would it be the moment just before sunrise, kind of hidden in the garden. You can see the tomb in the distance. You see the soldiers guarding the tomb. You see maybe the women starting to come into view. Would that be the moment that you would pick? If it's me, I'm picking Friday. Because this story and our story, for it to be personal, it has to start on Friday. It has to start on Friday. We don't have a time machine. But we do have this, the living word of God, which actually is better 
because it tells us not that you just can go back and witness these events that happened. You actually can be connected to eternally these events that have happened and that are now eternally. Easter is now, he is risen. It's not something that he just did. He is risen. The resurrected power of Jesus is supposed to affect us today. So we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell this story, crucifixion, resurrection. All four stories are different, which a lot of people would say, see, that's why you can't trust the Bible. To which you should answer, see, it's because they're eyewitness interviews. In fact, if you're going to pull off a hoax, wouldn't you do a better job making sure the stories line up exactly? That everybody said the exact same things? They don't because it's like if you interviewed somebody on 9-11 who was in one of the trade towers and got out or a fireman, or you interviewed somebody across the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, would they tell you different versions of 9-11? Would they all be true? Yes. So you read the gospels and you get these little snippets and these little statements and interviews and this detail and this detail. And what you know is it actually speaks to the reliability of the text, not call into question its reliability because you're getting firsthand interviews, people who were there. So what you're seeing is people trying to deal with trauma, trying to deal with loss, heartache, brokenness. If you have a copy of God's word, you can turn to Matthew 27. If you don't, we have one on the screen for you. Uh, you can also just close your eyes and listen if you'd like to. Just open them when I'm done so that I don't think you're sleeping. Um, Matthew 27, 57. It was a Friday. It was evening. There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus, but shh, kind of secretly didn't really want people to know because we know from another account, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which didn't really get along with Jesus. He came and like a great movie plot, stepped up to the highest government official in the land, Pilate, and said, give me the body. What? Give me the body. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. In another gospel account, it tells us that he made sure Jesus was dead first. Then he said, okay, he's dead. You can have him. 59, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Clues there are that this was expensive. This is a rich man, expensive tomb, his own tomb. It's new. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. What are they doing? Watching. They see what's happening. That's Jesus. He's dead. He's in the tomb. Saturday, verse 62, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure who guards a gravestone? Ordered the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell everybody he's risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. You go make it secure. 
66, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Verse 1, 28. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Did you think she's probably a little bit perturbed at this? Come on, I'm the other Mary, but it's the other Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, which was maybe a cousin, but either way, she's the other Mary. So you come to heaven, you're like, hey, are you the other Mary? She's like, yes. (laughs) Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Question, how do we know these details? Secret in the palace, government conversations between Pilate, the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, how do we know these details? How did they get written down? How do we know that Mary and the other Mary were there watching and witnessing Jesus being put in the tomb? Because they were interviewed and said, I was there, let me tell you. I was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, but I was in the room, I asked for the body. I was in the room, that's how we know, but They're eyewitnesses, not to a miracle, not to him rising from the dead, yet they're eyewitnesses to the death of Jesus. They're going to a funeral. That's what this is about. Let's let's deal with this trauma. Let's deal with this difficult moment. There were no funeral homes. There were no professionals to help you with the body of a loved one. If your parent, your brother or sister, your spouse, your child died, guess who takes care of the body? You do. You do. And so Joseph is his friend, goes and asks for the body. We also know that Nicodemus was with him. Another gospel account. Both of them were secret followers. Are you a secret follower of Jesus today? Just a question. Some good guys here who were secret. They came into the light eventually, but they were secret at first. They grabbed the body of Jesus. I always like to think about the details of this. Did they have soldiers to help get him down? Were they there? Could they feel the weight of the body of Jesus? Did they get blood on their clothes when they carried him? Because the scriptures say that he was so badly beaten, bruised and bloody that he was unrecognizable as a human being. Details, but they carry the body, they wrap it, The women watch, they witness this process. Joseph says, let's put a big stone that I had carved for my new tomb, roll it into place. It took more than one person to move it because it would weigh over a thousand pounds easily. So what were they feeling? Mary, the other Mary, Joseph, Nicodemus, the disciples who were hiding right now, what are they feeling? Mark 16 gives us a little phrase that I think is a clue into their heart and what they were feeling. And it's from the women on their way. It says the women were going to see Jesus to see the tomb. They asked this question, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? What are tombstones for? Closure. Is it for the person in the ground? No. Do they need it? No. Who needs it? We do, right? We go, we pay our respects. It's a way for us to close off. And in literally in this case, closure, because death 
stinks. They didn't have $8,000 caskets with double layer titanium thick. And this will last 25 years in the ground. You're like, why do I care? No, you put them in a hole. You put a rock in front because it's going to smell. We know that from the story of Lazarus. Remember Mary and Martha, his sister said, you don't want to open that. It smells. But it's our way of handling it. We're dealing with death. So let's take the statement from the women and make it ours this morning. Who will roll away my stone? Who will help me deal with the eventual probability that I'm going to die? Do you know when you're born, you are immediately set into motion a dying process. Your body is beginning its stage towards death. And it's a loudspeaker for us. It's God calling to us. It's kind of the final loudspeaker. So when you see tombstones, it should be this thing for your own heart. When you see it, whoever it is that you are paying your respects to, to say to you, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what should be happening. Let me show you a picture. This is my grandfather and my dad. Red Ellenberg. He wore red shirts, but I think he had red hair at some point. And my dad, it's very Ellenberg picture right there. My dad messing with my grandfather, making him laugh and him grabbing my dad. And I still remember the phone call. We lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. We were newly married. I was standing in our new house right by the alarm pad thingy because I thought I was all that because I had an alarm system in my house. And Lisa was standing there with the phone in her hand. And I was like, who is it? And she's just crying, just holding it out. And I remember that moment where I stood because the alarm code was 2324. Lisa was 23, I was 24. Right at the beginning of our marriage and of our lives. And it was my mom calling to say that my grandfather had been hit by a car in the front of his house. It was my first moment with this. I'd been to funerals, but never somebody that I knew that was my flesh and blood. And I had that same question in my heart. Who will roll away this stone? Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, it's right there on the road. Where's your victory? Winning. Lots of doubts, lots of struggle, death, sin, and destruction, even unbelief. I'm a pastor and I'm sitting there with unbelief. How can this happen? How can this be the way? It's the barrier that I just can't get past. What is your stone this morning? What's that thing that keeps you from fullness in Christ or from saying yes to him? This was their stone, a literal stone, but it wasn't for Jesus. Don't forget that. This stone was not for Jesus. It was for them. The stone was heavy, thousands of pounds. It was sealed by Rome, guarded by soldiers. But the bigger problem was that the stone was rolled into place meant that God was dead. Famous quote by Nietzsche, God is dead. He remains dead and we've killed him. We are the murderers of murderers. And he finishes with an interesting statement. How shall we deal with this? We must become gods ourselves. It's the only way. 
It's the only way to handle that we have killed him. This first Easter morning, they aren't asking each other, I wonder if he pulled it off. I wonder if he's alive. I wonder maybe, just maybe there's a miracle. You know what they're concerned about? Who's going to move that big thing for us? Who's going to move it? Because we want to pay our respects. We want to anoint his body with spices. We need help just to be there. Who will help us? Verse two, somebody's coming. And behold, or as my friend in Austin, Texas, Brandon likes to say, boom, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And I love this part and sat on it. Could have just rolled it back. Could have stand from the side. Could have said, Woo, but rolled it back and hopped on up there and was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Just don't move, just don't move. Maybe we won't die. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know who you're looking for. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen as he said he would come and see. Notice, not he's risen. Get out of here. Come and see. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there... You know what's going to happen? You're going to see him. You are going to see him alive. See, I have told you. Details are important. The basics of this story is that Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. Done. But God is so good and he's so good for us in answering that question. How can it become personal that instead of just giving us a few sentences, he chooses to give his friends and his disciples and those who might be considering saying yes to Jesus, the nitty gritty of the details. He wants you to think about the details. Why? We remember them, not just in our minds. We remember details in our senses. Do you know your senses are le linked to your memories? I was thinking about this this past week and I remember the day I got married. I remember what the church smelled like. I remember the color of the carpet. I remember the tears running down my wife to be's cheeks as she stood next to her dad and sang with all of us, how great thou art. I remember what it was like for him to place her hand in mine. I can feel it. I remember the smell of the orphanage in Vietnam when they handed Maya Lin to us. I remember that she smelled kind of funny, like this pine sweat smell, but it's a beautiful smell to me. I remember the gentle rise and fall of Caleb and Abigail's little tiny bodies as they were in those clear bassinet things in the hospital. I remember what it felt like to hold them and to put my nose into the back of their little necks because that's the best part of the baby. I don't know if you knew that. It's really soft back there. You get that perfect baby smell. Why is it that these things make us remember? Do you remember the first time you tasted hand-cranked ice cream? What flavor it was? How about coffee cake on a Christmas morning? Those things like come back to us so fast. Details tell us what's true. 
details ground us in reality, they're important. God knows that. So the angel's like, go have a look. I had an aha moment this week as I was meditating and pondering the details in this story, which are always meticulously crafted and laced into the story by the Holy Spirit for you and me so that we can experience God because it's this truth, these details that will remind us of what is true. And my aha moment was this, this stone, it was a detail. It was a sensory detail. Why was the stone moved? I used to think so Jesus could get out, but Jesus is moving through walls. We know that later we keep reading. He's actually flying around the country there too. He's in Galilee. He's on the road to Emmaus. He's back in Jerusalem. Then he's like, woo, he just flew up in the air. He doesn't need anybody to move this. It's not like he was standing there going, come on, I'm up. Like, let's go. Let's get this thing going. He didn't need it moved. Who needed it moved? We did. They needed it. They needed to see that it had been moved for them, not Jesus. In fact, you're witnessing Operation Move That Stone right now for the women, for the disciples eventually, for those that would come to see. Remember Mary's words? Who will move the stone for us? Our stone, our reminder that he's dead, our way of dealing with the stench of death, our way of sealing up this experience, which was amazing. This Jesus was awesome, but he was a failed Messiah, I guess. And then you have the boom again, drops the boom and they see there's earthquake. They feel it. They see it. They can smell the lightning hitting the air. The angel is there and they're almost scared to death. And then I think you could hear one of them saying, there's an angel sitting on my stone. There's an angel sitting on my stone. Whoever got this duty, whichever angel was assigned to this was one lucky angel sitting on top of that stone, one happy camper. So I imagine, and I was just thinking about this this week, here's this angel sitting up on top, arms crossed, dangling his feet, whistling. (laughs) With the mighty triumph of his foes. Hey, you never know where these songs come from. Up from the grave, he arose. You know, he was loving this moment. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the crucified Jesus. Yeah, the one who died. He's not here. He's risen just as he said, come and see. See the place where he lay. Come and look at the details. The other gospels tell us they did that. They did exactly that. They stooped in to get inside the tomb to look. They looked around. They're looking at each other. What do they see? The grave clothes folded up, put over to the side. Why are the grave clothes there? I love the passion of the Christ, but I think there's one part for sure that is wrong. At the end, when you see the body of Jesus and he rises and it it looks like it just evaporates. It's like just dissolves. We know he was fully God and fully man. We know he could eventually walk through walls, but he took the time to take off the grave clothes. And so for this moment, he was experiencing that part of his humanity. So I kind of picture him sitting up. He's wearing 
very tightly wrapped grave clothes, a hundred extra pounds of spices. So I don't know, when you put on that many clothes, it's probably a little hard to move around. So I imagine him sitting up being like, mm, mm, mm. hey, I'm in here. I got it. I got it. Just give me a, starts unwrapping puts them off to the side, neatly placed. The, the, the gospels tell us that. The grave clothes were neatly set aside. Mary taught him well. <laughs> Who are the grave clothes for? Not for Jesus. He could have just blasted right through them, gotten out of there quickly. He unwraps them. He puts them to the side for you and for me, for Mary, for Peter, for John. They can step in and go, those, those, are, the grave, those are the grave clothes. What are they doing there? Where is he? The angel sits there with a goofy grin, beaming, saying, take all the time you need. This is for you. Yeah, touch the rocks, touch the grave clothes, look at the stone. Yep, it's all real. Come and see. Well, now what do we do? This is the place where most of us find ourselves. Here's the truth of the resurrection. Here are the details. And maybe that's you today as well. You feel and experience that maybe this thing is moving. It's starting to get out of the way. What happens next? Verse eight, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and boom, behold, Jesus met them and said, hello, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. When I read that, I just pictured my kids grabbing onto my feet when I was little, trying to walk around. Jesus being like, hey, hey. And we actually hear him in another gospel account. He says, don't grab onto me. <laughs> don't grab onto me right now. I'm not yet glorified. And you can imagine Mary's being like, oh, sorry, my bad. They grab onto his feet, they worship him. Then Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Fear and great joy. I think that's a great way to describe walking with Jesus. Fear and great joy. The ending of this story in Mark 16, the same account that the women heard this happen, they were so scared at first with what they had heard that they didn't say anything to anybody. It says they didn't say a word. So scared. And you know how people respond differently to fear? Some people yell, some people just get really quiet. Some people turn like this ashen white, like all the blood is drained from their face. Some people throw up. I mean, it happens. So I just wonder if there was somebody in the group who was like, ah, I'm sorry. Just, just freaked me out a little bit there. Okay. There's always a vomiter. So when they asked like, what happened to you? I don't know. I can't talk right. I can't talk right now. It's just too scary. They eventually do go. They kind of move past the shock of the moment. They pick up their pace. They begin running. I think they begin giggling and laughing at the thought of what might be true. And then they run into Jesus. When he starts to move your stone, you know what happens next? Get ready to bump into him. Get ready for a personal encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, where are you off to? Why in such a rush? They're so flabbergasted. They just grab him on, grab hold of him by the feet. But his words to them are the same as the angel. Don't be afraid. A little bit of, I told you so. I told you. Did I not tell you this would happen? 
So what about you this morning? As you think about your stone, the thing that might be blocking you, an obstacle, and you're kind of stuck there. How can it be personal? How can you believe and live in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus? That is the question. How can it be personal? How can you live in the reality? And here's what I think he wants to say to us today. And it's one of the first things I thought of. and I'm stealing it from Max Lucado. I read the book when I was in high school. He still moves stones. He still moves stones. Whatever it is for you, he'll move it. Remember that show on TV, Extreme Home Makeover? Remember what they would say at the end? Move that bus move that bus. And there's this bus and they're, you know, they build it up great and they've done this new house and there's all this great stuff and they poured money into it. And it's like, move that bus, move that bus. And then they go to a commercial. You're like, God, I hate you. Yeah. But eventually they move the bus. I want you to hear the angels chanting today. And I want you to hear the saints who have gone before us on your behalf, move that stone, Lord, move that stone. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus actually is praying for you right now. He lives to intercede for you. His words, move that stone, Father. Move that stone. Because once the stone is moved, a personal encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ, is coming. So look out. You want to know how I made it through my first encounter with the reality of death with my grandfather? I remember I stood because it was an old Methodist church and I remember the pulpit was over here on the side and I stood here and there was his casket. He was in there. Trauma and tragedy and like, and I'm young and I'm trying to make sense of this. And I remember looking over and I said that, because a lot of people say things like this, that's not them. They're not there anymore, which is true in part. But what does the Bible tell us about this body? This is the one that is resurrected. Some of you may be like, shoot. <laughs> this is the body that's resurrected. And I looked over and I said, that is my grandfather. And that body, broken though it is now, will be resurrected because of Jesus Christ. That's how the Lord started. And it's a long process where you start to deal with really difficult things and ask difficult questions, but his resurrection still moves stones. How about you? What is it for you? What is the Lord saying? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the details. Lord, thank you for the down into the moments of the angels knowing and you planning. Because the thing that struck me about this story, Lord, is that you weren't there. <laughs> You're not even there. They're gathered around an empty tomb. They're gathered around a move stone. They are waiting around to just kind of be on the scene of this great event that happened. Lord, I pray that you would walk us through whatever is needed in our own hearts, Lord, to see, to experience, Lord, the details. Lord, as uh, this spoke with a, a young man after the first service, and he said that his grandfather died of COVID last year and had said to him, I want you to go to church. And he said that this morning he woke up and he heard a voice saying, son, get up, 
go to church. And he said, so I'm here. Lord, that's you. That's all you. Lord, thank you for the way you pursue us. You know where we are. You know what we need. And uh, God, we know that it is your power, your resurrection, Lord, the glorious day of your resurrection, Lord, that allows us to run out of our own graves. Remove that stone for us today. In Christ's name, amen. Why don't we stand and worship?